Hello, my friends. It's been too long since we've had a show I recorded. We did our Thanksgiving show before Thanksgiving. So much has happened on the weekend. I'm going to show you what I think, uh, but a 25-minute monologue today about what happened in Israel. And I'm going to show you a lot of video clips, uncensored. And maybe you don't want to see them. And if so, just listen to this podcast. They're horrific and you will not be able to unsee them. But if you want to know what really happened, then I think you need the video version of this podcast, which you can get at rebelnewsplus.com. Just click subscribe over there. I think you have to see what happened to understand it. All right, here's today's podcast. Tonight, a barbaric attack on Israel evokes Nazi atrocities, and incredibly, in some ways, it's worse. It's October 10th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. I'm going to show you a lot of terrifying and terrible images in this video. Some of them I wish I had never seen because I can't stop thinking about them days later. But I have to see them because I have to understand the world we're in. It's, it's my job. That's part of it. It's my mission. I have to know. But you do not have to know. There are some things too horrible. You shouldn't look at them unless you positively decide you want to do so. Children should not look at them. People who are faint of heart should not look at them. Do you want to eat from the tree of knowledge, tree of knowledge or do you want to be happy and oblivious? It's not an obvious answer to that question. So only continue if you can stomach some of the most terrifying things you've ever seen in your life. This will be worse than things you've ever seen. And that's the point of terror, of terrorism, to infect your mind, to conquer your mind, to do through fear and sorrow what cannot be done through might or right. A terrorist attack works differently. It undermines, it demoralizes, it takes decisions away from generals and soldiers and tanks and fighter jets and puts decisions into the hands of mothers and grandmothers and grieving relatives and everyone who fears that they too will soon grieve. It is an asymmetrical form of warfare and Islam has perfected it far exceeding the Nazis. So here's what happened last week on the Jewish Sabbath. There was also a Jewish holiday the anniversary of the Yom Kippur War, actually. Imagine being a young person going to a dance party, a rave, where the theme, by the way, is peace. It's in a field outside. There are hundreds of you. And then you look up in the sky and you can't understand what you see. Tiny airplanes, paragliders flying in. And they get closer. It looks like something out of a Mad Max movie. And soon they're shooting and pickup trucks and motorcycles are coming and they're shooting. What, what, what is it? It's monstrous terrorists coming to kill you. Gracias. 
That was in Israel. Those young teenagers and young adults, kids, massacred. Hundreds of them were killed and raped, and many of them kidnapped. Here's a video of a girl being put on a motorcycle, kidnapped by Hamas terrorists, to be taken back across the border to Gaza to surely be raped and tortured. <laughs> I first saw a clip of that rave on Twitter posted by the Ayatollah of Iran. That was the first way I heard about this massacre. I just glanced at the tweet. I couldn't understand it. I couldn't fathom it. I didn't really understand what I was seeing. I didn't look at it too closely. The leader of Iran was boasting of it, proud of it, Jewish children, kids, young adults being chased in terror and massacred. Look at what he said. Look what the video showed. <laughs> This wasn't a small operation. Hundreds of Hamas terrorists burst across the border from Gaza at the same time. We don't know exactly how, and we don't know why Israel didn't know the threat was coming with their excellent security and intelligence services, and why it took hours for them to muster a strong military response. Surely there must be deep investigations into what went wrong and why. I saw reports that Egypt had advised Netanyahu, Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, of a looming major operation, but it was brushed off. It, it, was it too speculative, an intel tip? Was it not taken seriously? Were there other things too distracting to Netanyahu, an enormous domestic battle over his reforms to the Supreme Court, distractions such as the Ukraine-Russia war? I don't know. Israel has an unusual connection to both of those countries. What was it? Was it simply overconfidence? that came with 20 years of success from high walls and high-tech fences. You know, we visited those fences just last month, our Rebel News tour. We met the designer of those fences, Danny Tirza. Here's a short clip of that. I'm standing in the Jerusalem neighborhood of Gilo. Down there is Bethlehem and Beit Jala in the West Bank. And with me is retired Colonel Danny Tirza, uh, nice to see you. You were the colonel in charge of the security barrier between uh, the West Bank and Israel. How is it working? How many years old is it, first of all? It was start constructed here in 2002, and now we're in 2017, so 15 years that it works. How many uh, people try and cross the barrier on any given day? Today, 
maybe 20 to 30 times a week someone tried to cross the fence. So three to five times a day, are they people who are lost? Are they uh, regular criminals? How, what's the breakdown of those 20 or 30 people a week? Most of them are criminals, some of them are illegal workers, and even Palestinian women that are running away from the families, you know what happened to a Palestinian wife if her husband suspects her, she better run away. How um, has it affected uh, regular life, commerce? Can people on the Bethlehem side still come to Israel and vice versa? Yes, they have, but they, they can, but they can do it only through checkpoints and after a security check. For 20 years, those fences and walls worked. Here's some video that the terrorist group Hamas released showing how they did it, or at least how they want Israel to think that they did it. Take a look at this. There are other videos showing how the walls were breached by bulldozers and motorbikes and trucks and even golf carts drove right through. Take a look. It was a massive operation. I saw one report that said more than a thousand terrorists came across. At many border crossings, they overwhelmed border positions. They even took over at least one Israeli army base. They slaughtered men, women, and children by the hundred. The death toll is almost a thousand now. They raped women, and then they killed them. And the thing is, we know this because they wanted us to know it. They recorded themselves and filmed the whole thing in real time. Here's a young woman who was obviously just raped, covered in her own blood, being kidnapped and taken into Gaza. I'm sorry, I'm going to show you the video now, so look away if you don't want to see this. This is one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life.
here's another girl I'm going to show you in a moment. So turn away if you want. She's just dead now, stripped naked, paraded around Gaza for hordes to scream at and attack her dead body. Look away now. They took hostages, up to 200, maybe more. Somewhere in their 90s, one was a Holocaust survivor. Many more were children. They went into homes and killed entire families, making them watch the murders. In one case, they made a woman log into her own Facebook account and live stream her own murder for her family and friends to see. Here's a family hiding a child of theirs just murdered. Look away now. I haven't been able to watch this all the way through, and I will not, so maybe you don't want to either.
The terrorists walked into kibbutzes and just started shooting and killing. They burned people alive. They cut up bodies. They beheaded them. Today, there was a report that 40 babies were found decapitated. Don't turn away now. Well, do turn away now. Don't watch this unless you've decided you want to. David, it's hard to even explain exactly just the mass casualties that happened right here. In fact, the Israeli military says they still don't have a clear number, but I'm talking to some of the soldiers and they say what they've witnessed as they've been walking through these different houses, these different communities, uh, babies, their heads cut off. That's what they said. Gunned down, families completely gunned down in their beds. You can see some of these soldiers right now comforting each other. Many of them reserves uh, who jumped into action, leaving their own families behind as well, not knowing the sheer horror that they were about to come to. They say they've never experienced anything like this. This is nothing that anyone could have even imagined when you're walking through here. Baby cribs thrown to the side. Doors thrown wide open. Still some Israeli bodies still here because the fighting in this community just ended. To me, the most terrifying was this one. And this one is not actually terrifying to look at, but I'll explain it in a minute. <laughs> It's a young boy, what do you think he is, seven years old, maybe asking for his mummy while Palestinian kids poke and jab and mock him. He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know where he's been. He's just being kidnapped. He just wants to know where his mummy is. The poking and the teasing is part of the humiliation, the national humiliation, the personal humiliation, but it is the very least that will happen to him. They will torture him physically, psychologically. They have said as much. Hamas has said it will kill their hostages and broadcast the murders live like a snuff film. I watched this over the course of the weekend and I felt like the Jewish Holocaust Museum Yad Vashem had come alive in full color on Twitter. I thought of the Nazi SS hunter-killer squads, the Einsatzgruppen, who would patrol hunting and chasing down Jews with such cruelty. I thought of this famous photograph called The Last Jew in Vinitsa, about to be murdered and dumped into a pile with the rest. The Nazis did that, and Hamas did that. 1,000 murders on the weekend, 1,000, and probably 200 more to come from the hostages. Except that the Nazis, in their own way, did what they did in the shadows. They didn't make films about their depravity. In fact, they tried to tell the outside world they weren't doing what they were doing. I don't know if you heard of this 1944 film called Theresienstadt. Uh, it was a propaganda film claiming that the death camps were actually just prisons where Jewish inmates were treated quite well and well-fed and well-taken care of. The Nazis hid what they were doing in the death camps, largely. I'm not saying that no Germans knew, but even Auschwitz itself kept its final purpose hidden from the Jews within until the last moments. Maybe it's because there was still a vestige of Christianity and humanity and civilization in the hearts of Germany. And the Nazis knew if the general population saw the raw violence and barbarity of Nazism and the final solution that even Germans in the war wouldn't tolerate it. I don't know. Or maybe they simply didn't want to further enrage foreign foes. But even Hitler's final solution was not boasted about. It was documented in the main after the war by the liberating Allied forces, the Russians and the Americans, the Canadians, by a review of Nazi documents as well after the surrender. But they tried to keep it quiet when it was happening. Not so today's Nazis. The barbarity was the point of Hamas's attack. The horrific crimes, the focus on women and children and the helpless, the hostages with the promise of untold horrors to come, that was not a side effect or an accident or a rogue part of the project. It was the center of it to humiliate the Jews, to terrify them, to show that they weren't human, not worthy of being treated as humans. It was dark, as dark as the Stone Age. I think societies can abide some deaths of soldiers, but deaths of children, of women and children being scooped up and publicly defiled and passed around to rape and then be shot. 
This is a video from a few years ago, but it talks about rape slavery for ISIS, for the Taliban, which is exactly what Hamas has promised to its terrorist men. Capture a Jewish woman and you can rape her not only with impunity, but with the blessing of the Hamas leadership and, and even their imams. so not only is Israel now facing a military adversary that is financed and equipped by Iran, it is facing a crisis within. Imagine if you were a family, one of 200 families who knows that your child, perhaps your child and your grandchild, your entire posterity is being held hostage. What would you do? Well, you would do anything to get them free. You would make any deal you would want to. What a horror. Israel has declared war, but how do you fight a war against soldiers who aren't soldiers, but rather terrorists who hide, who don't have military bases, who live deliberately amidst civilians in apartments? They happily sacrifice their own women and children as human shields. They happily sacrifice your women and children. How do you fight such an abominable enemy. The Nazis had tanks and soldiers. What do you do with your jet fighters and tanks against Hamas? And it gets worse by the day the rockets don't stop. Now, Hezbollah, another Islamic terrorist group in the north, is firing rockets into Israel. The attack out of Gaza was the single deadliest day for Jews in the entire world, going back to the Holocaust itself. But it was crueler than the Holocaust, deliberately so. The Holocaust was methodical, it was industrial, and of course some Nazis took brutal delight in their abased violence, but nothing like the monsters here. It reminds you of ISIS, who decapitated their captives on camera with delight to show the world. The ISIS terrorists, and I'm not going to show it to you again, but perhaps you remember the ones who would cut off the heads or cut out the heart of an enemy in ate it on camera like a cannibal. Do you remember that? There's nothing lower, nothing more terrifying, and that was their point. It shatters confidence. It shatters national confidence, national mindset. When we were in Israel just last month, we were there for the Abraham Accords to see the new peace agreement between Israel and its Muslim neighbors. And what a delight to see the real friendship in the United Arab Emirates, including, incredibly, a Holocaust museum in Dubai. Now Saudi Arabia says it has called off peace talks, a huge success for Iran, the sponsors of Hamas. Iran loathed the friendship between Israel and its Sunni Muslim neighbors. Now it thinks it has stopped it. Maybe it has. There was a feeling that I had when I was in Dubai of the end of history. Imagine peace between Israel and its Muslim neighbors, the lion lying down with the lamb. It felt biblical. It felt that way. I suppose the world felt that way. After the fall of Berlin Wall in 1989, the end of history, we'll all be friends now, or at least economic friends, we'll be customers for each other. We'll all eat McDonald's and watch Disney movies, and there will be no real conflict, at least none we can't finesse. Well, Osama bin Laden had a different idea, and these are his cousins. China and Russia had different ideas, too, and Iran. The world is not done with history yet, but we're moving backwards, aren't we? The barbarism... And look who the world has to stand up to, it. Joe Biden, huh, who's working just a few hours a day. His staff called a lid before noon, day after day. He's not engaged. Justin Trudeau, I lament the absence of Trump. Love him or hate him, you know this would not have happened under his watch. None of this. Not the Russian invasion of Ukraine, not Iran taking such liberties with its proxies. Americans were killed in Israel by Hamas. Canadians were killed in Israel by Hamas and other nationalities too. too. Trump would have destroyed Hamas in retaliation for lost American lives. Biden, well, he finally did make a statement today, days after the fact. Biden had not said a word about dead and injured Americans for days. Hamas can see that delay.
But what about you? I didn't mean to upset you by what I showed you, but I want you to witness it the same way I want people to see the Holocaust Museum so you know. You can't not know. You have to understand that such evil exists. You can't pretend you're still living in the Garden of Eden without the tree of knowledge. You're not. You can't hide from these facts. You have to face them. These facts won't hide from you. I was disgusted by these videos, but when they started being scrubbed on the internet, I realized why that was wrong. Because without these true facts about what's happening, without seeing for yourself, you might start to believe the mainstream media, which didn't use the word terrorist at all. In fact, a CBC memo was leaked in which CBC staff were instructed never to use the word terrorist to describe Hamas unless quoting someone else saying it. CBC were also told not to mention that Israel had left the Gaza Strip, given it back to the Palestinians, ended their occupation in 2005, 18 years ago. CBC reporters were literally told not to say that. I swear, read it for yourself. It was still occupied. Today, says the CBC. It's not just the CBC. Other companies, Forbes, CTV, City TV. They call Hamas militants at worst. Some of them said that Israel's military retaliation was actually unprovoked. They said that. They, they called it an incursion, not terrorist rape and murder. They didn't show the rape, the mutilation, the murder, the targeting of children. They were performing propaganda for Hamas. They were. <laughs> and across Canada, pro-Hamas rallies sprouted up. Here's Mississauga celebrating murder and rape. Oh, and honking their horns. I was reliably informed that it's a terrible crime when the trucker convoy did it to honk horns, but not when the Hamas terrorist group and their Toronto support base do it. And Ottawa, and Calgary, and Vancouver, and Montreal, and Edmonton, where speakers there said that there are no civilians in Israel. They're all fair game to be murdered and raped. They're all guilty. It was even worse in countries further down this path than we are. Here's London. I mean, seriously, how long before they start raping and murdering there? They say no Jew is innocent. The media is on side with them. The woke people are on side with them, professors, union leaders. The only difference uh, is that Nazis today now speak Arabic, not German. And the Nazis never had a lot of votes in London, but now they do. They're don't forget the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, actually was a lawyer for terrorists. Do you know that? There is no evidence at all against the three British men. The only evidence against them is these confessions. We now have unequivocal proof that the confessions were obtained under duress and under torture. As there is no evidence against the men, the men need to be released straight away and sent back home to the families. The Egyptian government and the state prosecutor have made a terrible mistake. They can correct that mistake by releasing the men now. What we're concerned about is they're compounding their mistake by continuing to detain them and having this farce of a trial. This is in breach of Egyptian's own very important law. Egypt has a proud history of being the custodians of law and justice. Oh, and don't pretend that this is just about Israelis or Zionists. Uh, here's a mob at the Sydney Opera House shooting flares at it, by the way. Maybe next time they'll be shooting rockets. Who knows? And they're chanting, gas the Jews. Gas the Jews. There's Jews in Australia. Gas the Jews! Where's the Jews? 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 Fuck the Jews! 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 Fuck the Jews!
Those are the new Nazis. They had more success in one day than any Arab army, any Arab country has had against Israel in 75 years. But unlike the Nazis, they have supporters across the West, and not just Muslim extremists who can't integrate, who won't integrate. Perfectly integrated, woke leftists, old stock Canadians, if you like, like CUPE, the Canadian Union of Public Employees. That's just one of a hundred examples. 31 different Harvard associations. Harvard endorsed the rapes. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. That's one of their chants. That means from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. That means totally extirpating and exterminating the Jews from all of Israel. The Nazis had a word for that in German, Judenrein. It means Jew clean, clean of Jews. It's not just being shouted now in Arabic. It's being shouted in English on the streets of Canada. This war is an atrocious war against Israel, and it is an atrocious war against Jews everywhere. And I put it to you that, like Nazism, it is a war against all civilization, all safety, war against life itself. They say so. They love death. They hate our life. This is terrible. I feel like I felt watching 9-11, except even that didn't have the exuberant personal cruelty of raping a woman and then inviting your fellow mob to cheer the rape. It was abominable and deadly and atrocious 9-11, yes, but this is a level of cruelty I have never seen in my life, and I fear for what is being done to the 200 hostages. In the end, the Nazis were not negotiated with. They were fought until they were completely destroyed, an unconditional surrender. The whole world united to destroy their evil. They were not left merely reduced. No one said that the Allies should respond only proportionately, that they should de-escalate. It was the most brutal war in history because the Nazis were pure evil. America literally dropped two atomic bombs on Japan, their allies on cities, not military bases, in a bid to conquer the defiant minds of the Japanese generals and convince them to surrender unconditionally. And yet, in every public statement, immediately, even before the Hamas raid was over, voices in the West were already blaming Israel for fighting back with unavoidable casualties, saying, stop the cycle of violence, as if there's an equality between a murder and a murderer. There's always casualties in war. These leftists stand with Israel as long as Israel isn't standing, as long as Israel never fights back or never fights back enough to win. But that can't be the case now. These are dark days, and I wonder what I can do. I can love my country, which is not this way. Canada is not a place where Hamas Nazis are reflective of us. We can try and protect our country by exposing the pro-Hamas barbarians here, perhaps to try to encourage our government to protect us, including by deporting non-citizens who support that terrorist group and by denormalizing Jew hatred and terrorist love for their own terrorism. I suppose it's a kind of love. These hate celebrations across the country, we must denormalize them. Rebel News, we can do journalism, and we are. We're sending Abi Yamini to Israel to report what's really going on. He lands tomorrow morning, Israel time. You can help us crowdfund that at thetruthaboutthewar.com if you like. That's where we'll have all his videos. But mainly, I want to stay hopeful and free. I don't want my mind to be conquered. I want to stay Canadian and Jewish. And the Jews have a saying, l'chaim, have you ever heard it? It means to life, to love life and to fight against death, not to love death and fight against life. That's un-Jewish, and I put it to you, it's un-Canadian. That's the Hamas way, the ISIS way. Let me end with a poem that I learned about when I was a boy, when I was being taught at a little Jewish school in Calgary, Alberta, called the I.L. Parrot School. I was taught by two Holocaust survivors who had met in the camps. They were teenagers. They got married. They moved to Canada. And they were teaching us at that school. Aaron and Ida Eichler were their names. And they taught us this poem that was written on the wall in a concentration camp and discovered later. I believe in the sun, even when it is not shining. And I believe in love, even when there's no one there. And I believe in God, even when he is silent. I'm alive, and we're alive, and we know we believe in life and freedom and peace. And we have a people, Canadians, in the Western world, Jews and Christians. And we've been through worse than this before, and we've overcome it before, and we can and we will 
get through this now. Stay with us for more. Every single person in politics has weighed in on this, and I wish many of them had not, because it has revealed just how pervasive anti-Semitism is. And I don't throw the word anti-Semitism around lightly. I'm Jewish myself, and I incredibly have been called a Nazi just because I'm conservative. And I mean, obviously, I know I'm not a Nazi. I'm Jewish. But I can imagine how painful that charge is to be thrown around lightly, and how it weakens and waters down the power of that word, like a sharp knife dulled by overuse. If you call everyone and everything a Nazi, which Trudeau's people do, when you really need that word, I mean, you cried wolf before. Um, it's not a powerful, meaningful word anymore. So I don't say anti-Semitism. I don't use it that often. But I think, I mean, let me give you an example. Here's Jagmeet Singh, who learned that a um, Canadian was murdered by Hamas. And so he wrote this tweet, which offers condolences to the family. Okay, I appreciate that. But in the tweet offering condolences to the family, he mentions targeting civilians on the other side. Hang on, hang on a second. What's that got to do with this Canadian civilian being murdered in Israel? Why are you why are you bringing this to the attention of his family? Why, why did you put this in your in memoriam? Like, like if you were at the funeral and you were shaking hands with the parents and offering condolences, would you say to them, I'm so sorry for the loss of your son. Israel should not target civil. Why, why would you say that? Other than you're obviously blaming him. You're linking him. You're claiming that he brought this poison and violence and murder on himself by being, by being there, that is a working definition of anti-Semitism. There have been school massacres. If you go to a funeral of a child at a school massacre, would you say to the parents, you shouldn't have voted Republic? Would you say some absurd political statement to scratch your itch that in some way blames the child or lifts the blame off the murderer? What the hell is that? That's Jagmeet Singh. Well, the mayor of Edmonton is just as bad. Amarjeet Sohi, former member of parliament for the Liberal Party under Justin Trudeau, and he did a tweet where he wouldn't call out the horrors of Hamas, and he tried to play the well on the one hand, on the other hand, the, the blame the victim because he depends on these votes. Joining us now is our chief reporter, Sheila Gunn-Reed, who was at a rally for Hamas. These are the people that Amarjeet Sohi didn't dare offend by calling Hamas evil. Sheila, tell us about your visit. Where was it? How was it described? Who led it? Who was there? What did they say? And then I understand you got some video. We'll take a look at that. So first of all, welcome. Tell us where you went to see this Hamas rally. Sure. It was on Thanksgiving Sunday. Like so many people on our team, I left my family Thanksgiving dinner to run out and cover this. Uh, really, it was a demonstration, but it was more of a street party. And I thought, knowing what we know now about the horrors and the atrocities of what unfolded in Israel at the hands of Hamas terrorists, I thought there is no possible way that this will have a good turnout. Even people who are pro-Palestine cannot be for what we saw. Instead, I saw hundreds of people absolutely jubilant about the atrocities unfolding in Israel. It literally was a street party with music, with dancing, and with a convoy, actually, a car parade with flags waving, something like what you would have seen during the Freedom Convoy. But Amarjeet Sohi passed a law that blocked horn honking during the Freedom Convoy. He has yet to denounce anything what I saw during that demonstration, which was really a, a street celebration. Yeah, I think we've got some uh, video. Let's play a little bit more of what you saw when you went there. Uh -huh. 
party it's a festival yep. there's kids there's babies They're, what are they celebrating they they didn't retake one inch of land by the way i mean they did for a few hours so what was accomplished what was done what are they celebrating the only thing that was accomplished was mass murder rape uh torture kidnapping, hostage-taking, humiliation, and anti-Semitism. There's nothing else that happened. That's what they're celebrating. This was not a victory for Palestinians in terms of getting them more rights, getting them more land. Uh, this was not a step. This was only the degradation and the torture, and like I said, the worst day for Jewish slaughter since the Holocaust. That is the only thing that happened, and that is precisely what they were celebrating in Edmonton. I'd say there were a 1,000 people there at least. Yes, yes. And it kept growing as the night went on. I stayed there for about an hour. That was all I could take. Um, there were speakers uh, openly calling for genocide. I acknowledge that Michael Cooper, conservative MP, was there also uh, taking video footage. There were chants of from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. What they mean is not free of oppression, but free of Jews. That's a call to genocide. The speaker said it was a human right to violently resist the Israelis. Now, the Israelis are not in Gaza, so it's, it's not a human right to go into Israel, butcher families, behead babies, rape women, chill, kill children in front of their fathers and leave the fathers alive to suffer. That's what we saw unfolding in Israel, and that's what they were celebrating. We also had a speaker basically claiming that no Israeli is safe, saying that there is no such thing as an Israeli civilian, meaning that every Israeli is fair game. If you are pro-Hamas, pro-terror, nobody is safe. It's important to point out that uh, Palestinians uh, have been resisting occupation for the last 75 years. And it's important to point out that they've tried resisting in a number of ways. So they've tried diplomatic methods, they tried going to the United Nations. We know that Israel's broken more United Nations, United Nations resolutions than all the countries of the world combined. Uh, yet, at the United Nations, through the veto of the U.S., any criticism of Israel is always vetoed by the U.S. So the diplomatic uh, process didn't work for them. They tried peaceful protests, like in the March of Return of 2018 and 2019. That peaceful process was met with live ammunition, tear gas, the killing of medical staff. Then they tried uh, the, the legal route. Uh, Palestinians tried to take Israel to the International Court of Justice, but again, those avenues were blocked by the West, by the Western powers. So this is the last resort that they have, is armed resistance. And it has to be pointed out 
that this armed resistance that they're conducting is justified under international law and is justified under the, the Declaration of Human Rights of 1948. That's terrifying to me. Edmonton is a very large Muslim community. And I have to believe, and I want to believe, that most of them are not this way. But we just saw what's got to be at least a thousand. And if they would cheer and support, and in some of them dressing up uh, with the kafiyah, I'm not saying they had balaclavas, but frankly, neither did the terrorists in Gaza. If a thousand people on short notice would show up, it's on safe to say... Mm -hmm. On Thanksgiving Sunday. So this isn't just short notice, but this is... Thanksgiving, you're supposed to be home with your families giving thanks for living in free Canada. But a, a thousand people amassed in Castle Downs Park in North Edmonton to celebrate the butchery of Israelis. On one day's notice. So there, there's a multiple, whether it's five times or ten times. There is a very large population of people in Edmonton and Calgary and Vancouver mm -hmm. and Toronto and Ottawa and Montreal, each of which had similar rallies. But Edmonton's was quite large that are saying, and you say, you, we don't have to interpret this. You, you, and, and I know you'll have some videos on, uh, we're going to put them on CanadaStandsWithIsrael.com, which is a website we've set up to, to get signatures to give to the Israeli embassy to let them know that we're not all pro-Hamas haters. They explicitly say this, so we don't have to guess what they mean. They're telling us, just like in Sydney when they say gas the Jews. They mean it. It's not a joke. It's not a euphemism. That is what they mean. And if they could, they would. And when they can, they will. You know, I have to tell you about this little incident that I saw as I was walking back to my vehicle at this protest, demonstration, whatever, because they had a vehicle convoy. They were driving around the streets, driving around the parking lots, honking their horns, blaring music, something I'm reliably informed by Amarjeet Sohi was illegal a year and a half ago. But there were a couple of cars flying Israeli flags, and the police did have to intervene to help these guys because they were swarmed. The uh, pro-Hamas side said, you know, like, take their flags down. The police said, you know, no, they have as much right to be here as you. Please behave yourself. But as I was walking back to my vehicle, and this was sort of away from the police, and I did catch a video of this, the pro-Hamas side used little children, and when I say little, I mean toddlers, to block the vehicle with the Israeli flag from leaving so that another vehicle could come up and block the exit. So I saw them using children as a human shield in real time to incite a confrontation between the pro-Israeli two cars that were there. And first of all, how gross, but how fitting that they would use mm -hmm. the Hamas tactic of sacrificing children, sacrificing Jewish children in an attack and using their own children as human shields. And more to the point, trying to blame I presume they were Jews, although we don't know if they were Jews with the Israeli flag. They could have been pro-Israel Christians, for all we know. But the fact that they would try to manufacture an incident where a Jew drove over our baby. Yeah, you took your baby and put them in front of the car. And, that, and how Hamas-like is that? That is, a, that is a Hamas move. That is deeply uh, scary. I have no idea what they would have done to those Jews if the police weren't there. We can guess. Amarjeet Sohi, as far as I've seen, is not... I mean, I'll give Olivia Chow, the socialist mayor of Toronto, credit. She got such a blast from the 200,000 Jews that live in Toronto. By nightfall, she gave actually a, a fairly respectable pro-Israel speech at a at a Jewish rally that was obviously written by someone with more sense than her. But I think she realized... I, I better not go down this Hamas path. I lived in Edmonton. I'm going to guess there's maybe five or 10,000 Jews in the whole city, and there's easily 100,000, 150,000 Muslims there. So Amarjeet Sohi can do the political math. And he's decided that unlike Toronto, where there's 200,000 Jews, it's a serious factor. In Edmonton, he's going to throw his lot in with Hamas. And really, who's going to challenge him? CBC? They won't even use the word terrorist. I think Edmonton is a dangerous place now, and, and Montreal is becoming so.
Yeah, you know what? I, I, it pains me to say, but I've got to give credit to Jody Gondick in Calgary. Her statement was very strong condemning what she has been seeing, which I don't think we would have seen something like that from Calgary's previous mayor who didn't have all that much to say when there were open fist fights in the street between pro-Israel and pro-Hamas protesters. Here's a clip of our own Sidney Fizzard asking Jody Gondick, and I was surprised by her answer. Take a look at this. Quick uh, question to you about uh, your reaction to the demonstrations we've seen earlier today. Uh, in, in support, of course, of the, situa- uh, the Palestinian flag-waving uh, demonstrators. I think it was said best today by one of the more eloquent speakers that this is not a fight between people of two different faiths. This has not become something that's geopolitical. This is a terrorist organization that's fueling hate. And to think that it is some sort of a political uprising and not seeing it for the terrorism that it is, we have to call it out fact that it was a terrorist act. This was not an innocent uprising. Well, Sheila, thanks for taking time off out of your Thanksgiving weekend. So much of our team left their family vacations or family weekends or dinners to go out into the field. Efron Monsanto, David Menzies, Sidney Fizard, yourself. I'm, I'm missing some of our people but uh, who were out there, but we covered this story in a very important way. And I know that because some of our images of these pro-Hamas rallies were seen more than 10 million times uh, on, on Twitter, which shows that we were providing information that the mainstream media wasn't. I'm Looking forward to Avi Amini landing in Israel, which he will do tomorrow morning with a cameraman, and we're going to support him on... And we don't know how to do war journalism. we got to figure that out. We don't want Avi to be dangerous. We want him to be as safe as possible, but it is not, it's not a safe place. And hopefully he'll have his wits about him, and we'll have all of that at, at a special website we're setting up called The Truth About the War. Sheila, thanks for going out on the weekend and you stay safe, my friend. I will. And I'm just so grateful that people know that they can trust us to get this story as right as best we can, because we've seen how CBC will misconstrue the truth and lie to people with so many of our tax dollars in their pockets. Yeah, yeah, you're right. All right, Sheila, thanks very much. Stay safe. Thanks. All right. My final thoughts are next. Feel, uh, I felt ill at ease ever since I, I I saw this first in a tweet from the leader of Iran, the Ayatollah there, and I didn't look at it carefully because he's always, always blabbing on about something. I saw all these people running in the field. I didn't know what it was. I ignored it. It was too astonishing. I just glanced at it and I, I couldn't process the evil that it showed. And I sort of ignored my phone because it was the weekend and the holiday. And I was with my family and I would stare at my phone too much as it is. And so it wasn't until much later when someone said, what do you think of what just went on? And I saw, I assumed it was just another regular terrorist attack until I stopped and watched. And I felt exactly the ashes. I felt like ashes, like I felt when I saw 9-11 happen. I remember watching that. I was 29 years old. And I, I felt an enormous wound. And I also felt a terror about what would come later. And I feel those same feelings here now. But the level of barbarity and evil feels darker. And it feels less ashamed. And to see the support for this evil across the West, even in establishments and institutions, is just as scary to me as seeing the evil on the ground in Israel. And uh, I don't know what to do. We're going to do journalism, and we're going to try and tell you the facts because I know the mainstream media is going to lie. And I'm going to try in my own way to uh, move forward and not allow my own mind to be conquered by this. That's what terrorism does. It conquers the mind. And I think we have to deny them that victory. I think it's appropriate to grieve as we grieved after 9-11, but I think we have to turn it around and fight and win and in our and win in our own lives as well and not be conquered by fear and not allow Canada to be taken over by those who would celebrate Hamas. 
That's the show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. And keep fighting for freedom.